Well, hello, friends. So great to spend a bit of time with you this weekend. Uh, Today, we get to continue a series called Waiting Room. And as many of you know, it's built around a really important and stunningly relevant question, uh, given the present state of things. It goes like this. What do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do when there's nothing you can do. In other words, what do you do when you find yourself in a situation you really don't want to be in, but are powerless to change? Those times when you can't go forward and you can't get out, you can just be and wait and wait and wait. Well, as we noted last week, in seasons like that, it's tempting to give in to two incredibly destructive lies. Maybe you've said these to yourself recently. They, they go like this. I'll never be happy again, and nothing good can come from this. You know how it goes. You think back to the good old days, and you begin to believe that the best seasons of your life are in the rearview mirror. And when you look ahead, it's just darkness and confusion. And when this happens, your emotional health naturally struggles. Well, this series seeks to challenge these lies directly, and in doing so, to reignite hope for all of us who find ourselves in life's waiting room. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, I need to let you know that last week we began our study by exploring an account from the life of Jesus that suggests something really helpful. That in fact, whatever your present circumstance, God is not absent, apathetic, or angry with you. In other words, there's absolutely no conflict between God loving you deeply and you facing adversity in your life. And this reality is affirmed by the authors of the Bible who tell story after story after story of people who God loved and used, but who also experienced challenging seasons when pain they really couldn't do anything about entered their lives. The good news is that somehow these men and women found a way to channel their adversity into opportunity. Instead of allowing discomfort to disrupt their faith and destroy their hope, they were able to reframe their pain as something redemptive or even, dare I say, positive. And it's not only the Bible's authors that affirm this potentiality. In my years as a pastor, I've interacted with lots of people in all sorts of challenging situations that somehow have been able to leverage their adversity in order to become a better version of themselves. And every time I see this, it's so inspiring. As an example, years ago, I had a highly memorable conversation with a friend who was dying of cancer. Her hospice nurse had stepped out of the room to get some coffee when I said to her, I don't know how you did it, but, but I really want to be like you someday. And she looked back at me from her hospital bed with like all these tubes coming out of her and smiled and said, you most definitely do not want to be like me someday. And and then I elaborated. I said, no, I really admire how you've kept your faith and your joy and your peace as your physical health declines. I mean, what's your secret? And what she said in response, well, it seems a bit impossible, especially if you're not a person of faith. But as I've come to realize, it's one of those things that have been a part of the Christian experience since the very beginning. And with our time today, I want to share with you what that secret is. But in order to do that, I need to briefly remind you of the story of a man named Paul. 
It provides the context for something that he says. Paul is one of the most famous Jesus followers ever. But when he first steps onto the pages of history, he wasn't a Christian. He was a Jewish religious leader who hated Christians. He believed the Jesus movement was a perversion of what God intended. And so he had dedicated his life to stamping it out. And he was making good progress until one day, when on his way to arrest Christians in the city of Damascus, he came face to face with the resurrected Jesus. And it's no exaggeration to say that that moment changed everything for Paul. His eyes were opened to the reality of what God had done. And so Paul dedicated the rest of his life to helping people understand and embrace the Christian faith. Now, all that sounds good, but you should know that as Paul began to pursue his new mission, he almost immediately found himself stricken with a mysterious physical ailment. We don't know exactly what it was, but we do know that it was something that hindered his efforts to do what he knew that God had called him to do. We also know that Paul initially asked the same question you or I would ask if we found ourselves in that situation. It's a question, it's only one word. Why? Why would a good and loving God allow pain to enter the life of someone he had so clearly demonstrated that he cared for? It's a great question. But Paul's story doesn't end with that question because by the time Paul wrote his second letter to Christians living in the Greek city of Corinth, he had discovered an unbelievably important insight on suffering which he shares. What's clear is that Paul was somehow able to reframe his pain into something positive. He describes his experience this way. He, he writes, in order to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, I mean, he had come face to face with the resurrected Jesus. He says, there was given me. Now the Greek word translated given here uh, carries with it a sense of intentionality. Paul wants us to know there was a purpose behind what he had been given. It's also worth noting that nothing in the word suggests that he was being given a punishment. I mean, the original word uh, suggests the giving of a good gift by someone who cares for you, maybe a birthday present or, or something at Christmas time. So, so what exactly was this positive gift of purpose that Paul had received? Well, he describes it for us using some really unexpected language. He says, there was given me a thorn in the flesh to torment me. And we want to call time out. We want to say, Paul, buddy, you clearly misspoke. I think what you meant to say was, I was given a curse. I mean, how in the world can a thorn in the flesh that was sent to torment you be a positive thing? I have personally have experienced literal thorns in my flesh during my largely unsuccessful career as a gardener. And I'll tell you, anything that qualifies as a thorn in the flesh is relentless and it's irritating Nonetheless, Paul says, to keep me humble, I was given the gift of a thorn in my flesh to torment me. Somehow, Paul came to see that the physical challenge in his life was actually a good thing with a divinely sanctioned purpose. Well, as I was preparing for today, I became curious about the specifics of Paul's ailment and as I have an internet connection, really handy thing, I did a bit of research and I learned that Bible nerds have a number of theories. 
Some suggest that Paul struggled with epilepsy. In in fact, in old Ireland, epilepsy was originally known as St. Paul's disease based on a centuries-old assumption that he had suffered from the condition. Other scholars have suggested that Paul struggled with something a little more common, like like low-grade depression or migraine headaches. Still, others point to the fact that we know from some of his letters that Paul had trouble with his eyes, so maybe he carried a debilitating eye disease that kept him from writing or reading without great effort. And and finally, a few scholars argue that, that based on where Paul traveled, he very well could have been challenged by recurring cases of malaria. But the truth is, we don't exactly know what it was. And perhaps that doesn't matter. Whatever it was, we know three things about it. That it was painful, that it was humiliating, and that it was debilitating. So just to be clear, before we go any farther, after being called by God to tell the world about Jesus, the the greatest news ever, Paul developed a physical challenge that was painful, humiliating, and debilitating. Which brings me to kind of a fascinating observation. If you find yourself struggling with something in your life that you're powerless to change, something relational, something vocational, something financial, something physical, something that you don't have the ability to impact, you need to know that you're in good company. You share a challenge with the man who wrote more than half of the New Testament of the Bible. That doesn't necessarily make you feel better, but sometimes misery loves company. Just something to think about. Anyway, I love that Paul records what he did when he realized that his thorn didn't seem to be going away. And the great news for you and me is that he did exactly what we would do if we found ourselves in a similar situation. Uh, Paul tells us three times... I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Paul basically says, I asked God to supernaturally intervene and rescue me from my challenge. And the Greek word translated times actually indicates that Paul had traveled through three seasons of his life where this thorn, whatever it was, became so unbearable that he came to the end of himself and he essentially prayed, God, I can't keep going if you don't do something. I can't stand up in front of people. I can't write. I can't be faithful unless you remove this adversity from me. So Paul makes an honest and emotionally charged request to God on three different occasions, which raises an interesting question. How does God respond? Well, Paul actually tells us as he continues, he he writes, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And if you're like me at first pass, that really doesn't seem that helpful. But it's actually an incredible insight. In fact, if you find yourself in life's waiting room today, I'm convinced this is something you really need to lean into. Because in response to Paul's request for rescue, God responds, I'm not going to remove this pain from your life. But I am going to give you the strength and the power and the grace you need to press on in spite of the fact that it's not going away. The phrase, my power is made perfect in weakness, in the Greek literally translates, my power reaches its full potential when you are at your weakest. 
when you're at the end of yourself. It's as if God says to Paul, I'm going to show off my power through your deficiency. So, so no, the thorn is not going to go away. Which brings me to an interesting thought. If you're keeping score, Paul had a fourth thing to add to his list about his thorn in the flesh. Now he knows that his thorn not only is painful and humiliating and debilitating, but now it's also permanent. It's almost like God tells Paul, I love you. I'm going to use you in incredible ways. Heck, 2,000 years from now, Keystone's illustrious worship leader is going to be named after you. I mean, that's a big deal. So no, I haven't forgotten about you. You're still right where I want you to be. And I'm not angry with you. But I'm not going to remove your adversity or change your circumstance or ease your pain. My answer is no. But my no comes with a promise that my grace will be sufficient for you. So question, what do you do when you're Paul and God, who you're serving with all your heart, says no. And now you've got to deal with something painful, humiliating, debilitating, and permanent. Well, we actually don't have to wonder because Paul tells us what he does. In the next verse, he writes, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul argues that since his thorn is not going to go away, since it's going to continue to get in his way, since it's going to continue to be something people associate with him, he's going to respond to the adversity with positivity. He's going to own it. He's not going to hide from it. He's not going to pretend it's not there. He's not going to make excuses for it. He basically gets to a spot where he says, well, if God chose this for me, whatever the reason, and I don't get to know the reason, Paul's going to embrace it as a part of his story. In fact, he's going to boast about his weakness because it has a purpose that the power of Jesus may rest on him. Friends, as much as I don't like it, embracing our inability is often a prerequisite to experiencing Christ's ability in our lives. When we surrender to the fact that we're incapable of changing our undesired circumstance, when we reach the end of our ability to impact our unwished for situation and instead, instead of zoning out, instead of depressing out, instead of withdrawing, instead of allowing our hope for a better tomorrow to erode, we choose to receive our challenges coming on purpose and for a purpose from God, then we unlock our ability to experience the sustaining grace of God in real and tangible ways. Paul concludes the passage this way. He writes, This is why, for Christ's sake, I, am, I delight in weakness, in insult, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. And then he concludes with this. He says, For when I am weak, then I am strong. To which we want to say, I don't get it. <laughs> to which Paul would say, and that's why you're not experiencing the grace of God in the area of your life in which you most struggle. You need to reframe your pain as a way to experience the power of God in your life. Paul is absolutely confident that his thorn had a God-given purpose, that the thorn was somehow part of God's plan for him. But in order to live into that purpose, Paul had to learn to see the thorn as a gift 
and not a curse. He had to surrender to it instead of resisting it. And once he received it as a gift, then something powerful happened in him that couldn't have happened any other way. Which brings me to us in a really uncomfortable idea. It goes like this. If you believe God can change your circumstances, but has chosen not to, you have the opportunity to receive your challenge as a gift with a purpose and a promise. Here's what I mean. If you believe that God can change your circumstances, heal your body, heal your kid, heal your finances, heal your marriage, and if you've prayed and prayed and prayed, but it doesn't seem like God is going to act on your behalf in the way you desire him to act, then you have the opportunity to change your attitude and your perspective on whatever it is you're facing. You have an opportunity to reframe your pain. And the reason I say you have the opportunity is because you really do. I mean, no one can tell you that you must view this thorn as a gift or you have to view it as a gift. But I think Paul would reach through history and tell you and me that it's our best option by far. Because if we can receive whatever our challenge is as something that came from God, then we can have peace in the waiting room. That's what happened to my friend who was dying of cancer. She had wrestled and struggled and fought and prayed until the moment when she came to the place where she simply surrendered. She chose to view her physical challenge as a gift with a purpose and a promise. And she found a peace that was undeniable. And she reclaimed a joy that was contagious. And she would say that her cancer actually became a catalyst to her faith in God. Friends, when you choose to see your adversity as a gift with a purpose and a promise, it changes everything. That's why people who eventually come to the other side of a challenge, they eventually exit the waiting room, say things like, I would never choose it again. But when I look back on the purpose that was revealed and the power of God I felt during those dark moments, I can recognize that I learned things I couldn't have learned any other way. I'm a better version of myself because of what I experienced in the waiting room. And the good news is, is that we have permission to ask God to remove the thorn in our flesh, whatever it is. I mean, the Bible chronicles countless individuals who did just that. But the not so good news is that God sometimes says no. And what we learn from Paul, as well as the testimony of our friends and neighbors, is that we begin to encounter God's sustaining grace the moment we surrender and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. That sustaining grace is the power that allows us to keep moving forward, to keep hope alive during our seasons in the waiting room. So if you're there this morning, I want to invite you to consider receiving whatever is causing you to struggle as a gift with a purpose 
and a promise. For many of us, the purpose is yet to be revealed, but the promise of God's sustaining grace is available right now. Well, I want to leave you with a few questions to discuss over lunch or in your big idea group this week. And as I, as I say, you know, each time we do this, discussion is a great way to move this material from, from a concept to a reality in your life. So today, three questions, uh, they go like this. Number one, why do you think people assume faith in God will remove adversity from life? And where did we get that idea? And have you ever made that assumption? And no judgment if you had. Most of us had seasons where we've done that. Number two, is it difficult for you to accept the challenging that challenging circumstances can come from the hand of a loving God. And uh, perhaps even share a moment if you've come to the other side of that realization, uh, how did you get there? And, and number three, finally, what is the thorn in your side right now? And how might you begin to reframe that pain as a gift that comes with a purpose and a promise from a God who wants you to think of him as a heavenly father? Would you join me in prayer as we close? Heavenly Father, I can only imagine how this teaching lands in the lives of friends. Uh, for some, there is a thorn that is so chronic and so painful and so exhausting. And my hope is, is my words, but really, really Paul's words, his testimony from 2,000 years ago, might reignite some hope. That a few of us might open ourselves to surrendering to the idea that, that you are going to use this pain to do something redemptive in our lives or through our lives. And so we thank you for those times in the past when your sustaining grace has met us in our time of need. And we thank you that that same sustaining grace awaits us every moment of every day, maybe and especially when we find ourselves in the waiting room. And, and so may your grace and your peace rest on us in the matchless name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Friends, we'll see you next week. my desire
Bring me back to you. 